Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Hi, everyone. It's been a rough week again, but I'm sharing more this week and I feel like everyone will feel a little bit more like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. I'm sharing it in the way that I want to share it. So hold out for that. But in the meantime, welcome to With Wit. How is everyone doing this week so far? Give yourselves a break. I know we are all doing our best and I appreciate you all more than you even know. Today, I am actually sharing a really important conversation that I had with Dr. Samantha Boardman, who is a clinical instructor in psychiatry and assistant attending psychiatrist at Wheel Cornell Medical College. We dove into all things stress, managing and coping with it. Dr. Boardman is the founder of PositivePrescription.com, a website devoted to making tweaks and changes that are life-enhancing and resilience-building by combining conventional medicine with positive psychology. She has been featured on The Today Show. She's a regular contributor to The Huffington Post and Psychology Today and has appeared in New York Magazine, Refinery29, Goop, The Wall Street Journal, and Marie Claire, all obviously amazing publications that we turn to for so many of our health and wellness questions and needs. She's also the author of Everyday Vitality, Turning Stress into Strength, through which she shows readers how to find strength within their stress and how to transform full days into more fulfilling days. It was such a wonderful chat. I hope you all enjoy. Here is Dr. Boardman. I thought that we would just start out for everybody who's new to you by just telling us exactly what it is you do and giving us a little bit of your background in psychiatry. Thank you. I would love to talk about that and my background in psychiatry. (laughs) I really, I spent four years in medical school and I got really good at trying to figure out what was wrong with people and trying to come up with a diagnosis. You're almost acting like a bit like a detective and you're looking for clues and you palpate prostates, you percuss lungs, you auscultate abdomens, and you're looking for anything that could be abnormal. And then similarly, when you study psychiatry and psychiatry residency, you're also looking for anything that could be abnormal in the brain or behaviorally mm-hmm. what's wrong. And you studied mm-hmm. depression and dysthymia and schizoaffective disorder and schizophrenia. 
And I thought I was pretty good at these types of things. And I was good at getting people to be a little less miserable. I was good at dialing down symptoms, bringing people back to what I believe to be their baseline. And one day I had been seeing a patient for a couple of weeks. She didn't qualify for a clinical diagnosis of depression, but she was far from thriving, overwhelmed, three young kids at home, just a lot going on with her partner and in a lot of stress. And so we had been working on sort of how does she manage conflict with her husband, stress with the kids, that kind of thing. And one day she came into my office and said, you know what, Dr. Boardman, I just hate coming here. All oh. we ever do is talk about the stuff that's wrong in my life. Yeah. Sometimes I'm even having a good day and I have to think like, what can I vent about? And I actually never saw her again. And it was this weird wake up call for me. She was 100% right. I had been so fixated on what was going wrong. And that's, how, that's what I was trained to do. I was doing it all by the book and less sort of focused on what was meaningful to her, what makes life living for her, like life worth living for her. And I was so fixated on kind of what's the matter, not what matters. Like even what is a full day? What is a good day for her? What does that look like? And I ended up going back to school and getting a master's degree in applied positive psychology that, you know, was essentially the opposite of everything I'd studied in medical school and psychiatry residency. And it was learning about resilience optimism, post-traumatic growth, all these sort of factors that actually enhance our health and can create wellness within illness and and strength within stress. And I realized Mm -hmm. I was so focused on pathogenesis that is like the study of disease and the understanding of disease. And I didn't know enough about salutogenesis, which is the creation of health. And so really now I think of myself as a positive psychiatrist. I try to do both. Interesting. That's honestly, I I, ha, I so have felt that way. I mean, I just started therapy probably, I don't know, a year ago in the in the thick of the pandemic. I had been in and out of therapy. My dad passed away eight years ago, and that was really the mm. impetus to me trying to first go to a therapist that specialized in grief and then that not really hitting and me taking some time off and then me going to another one and then immediately wanting to medicate me and then me stopping that one. And now I'm in one that I feel like is a really healthy relationship. And I feel like I make breakthroughs, but at the same time, I do have that feeling where like I dread going. I feel like I have to just talk about whatever is wrong. Like I have to come with Mm -hmm. a list of like whatever is wrong in my life. And then after doing that, I feel guilty for complaining about the things that are wrong because I just feel like relative to mostly everyone else, I don't have anything to complain about. So, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I really want to chat with you because of your positive attitude towards towards psychiatry and not... I'm dealing right now with this idea that women often fall victim to stress more easily than men. And even though my husband is in therapy and he is, he is very in tune with his feelings. I often feel just like, why am I the more emotional one? Like, why am I the one that feels like I always need to vent or why am I the one that's always crying? So I'm just wondering from you, like, why do women often feel victim to stress more easily than men? Yes. No. So 
just to address your your um, comment about feeling guilty about complaining about sort of these like small little things, yeah. especially in the big scheme of things, there are people dying, you know, those yeah. awful things going on in the world. And I think that's such a big part and it's such a good point to make around how we can just feel almost more burdened by actually articulating these things and feeling guilty about it. And this one very nice woman once said to me, when she was a, a therapist, she was working, I think, with refugees and how she, when she was talking to them and, you know, how the, the, the difficulties and the challenges that they were going through and her talking to one of them and her saying, you know, the worst part of what's going on is there's this boy and he's on the raft over there that I really, really like. And in a yeah. way, like having a, sort of come home to that moment of like so many challenges sometimes people face, it comes down to like our relationships, our connections, feeling rejected, feeling like we don't belong. And so it's such a great point that you're making. But then to address your second point about why are we more emotional, I think certainly hormones have a role to play. I think we're conditioned. We're actually to express ourselves and be more emotional, to share our emotions with one another, to be more empathic. And also, though, that it's something that I think we're almost so, even though we're conditioned that way, made to feel guilty about. And how lucky we are in a way to be able to have the capacity to feel these negative emotions sometimes, these positive emotions sometimes. And what kind of data, you know, are they giving us? What can we learn from them? And rather than sort of beating ourselves up and being so uncomfortable sometimes with our emotions, even feeling guilty about being happy during a time we're supposed to be sad or the opposite, like just feeling sad, even though we're supposed to be happy because we've got everything in the world. And so I think we're, we've got all these feelings about our feelings that <laughs> we need to sort of address instead of also, I think, eventually kind of let go of. And I think especially as women that we sort of have this, this burden, and it goes back to your first point around the guilt that like, wait, why am I feeling this way? And almost overthinking our emotions and ruminating about them, you know, when we're sort of going over and over in our heads, like, why did I say that? Why am I thinking this? What's going on? It's like that ticker tape on the bottom of like the, the news channel, news feed. Right. And when we just can't stop thinking about that thing. And I think men don't, they're, they're, they're not ruminators like we are. And there are many strategies. I actually talk in the book a lot about how to get past rumination and like, what are like the little things that we can do? Because it can really be an on-ramp to feeling depressed and sad and, and just sort of dwelling in something rather than being able to sort of act or move past it. And now a word from one of our partners. When I was in my 20s, early 20s, I always had such like a love-hate relationship with my bank, right? It was so exciting when I got any kind of cash in there, but it was also really exhausting and stressful when I had to deal with overdrafts. If any of you guys are dealing with your online checking account balance running low, the last thing you obviously need is a $33 overdraft fee, right? And overdraft fees have gotten so way out of hand. Actually, in 2019, traditional banks took $11 billion in overdraft fees robbery. Chime does things differently. Chime is an award-winning app and debit card that has saved its members more than $10 billion in overdraft fees with something called the Spot Me Fee Free Overdraft. Eligible members can overdraft up to $200 on debit card purchases and cash withdrawals with absolutely zero 
fees. You deserve to have financial peace of mind. Join the millions of Americans already loving Chime. Sign up only takes two minutes and it doesn't affect your credit score. Get started today at chime.com slash with wit. That's chime.com slash with wit. Banking services provided by and debit card issued by the Bank Corp Bank or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements apply. Overdraft only applies to debit card purchases and cash withdrawals. Limits start at $20 and may be increased up to $200 by Chime. Chime member overdraft fee savings based on eligible members use of Spot Me V. $33 average overdraft fee. Overdraft fee data based on bank rate checking account survey and CRL June 2020 overdraft fees report. All right, you guys, one more time. Get started today at chime.com slash with wit. I love stamps. I think that they're obviously a necessity and a personal touch. And it just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're a company that's selling online or running an office or side hustle, stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress. And you get discounts that you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS rates. And like shipping is so freaking expensive, you guys. Going to the post office instead of using stamps.com is honestly kind of like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. You're going up just a couple floors. Sure, take the stairs. Walking up 30 flights a day, you could probably use a break. So if you spend more than a few minutes a week dealing with mail and shipping, stamps.com is a lifesaver. You'll save so much time and money. You'll wonder why you didn't start sooner. And it's especially great for so many of you small business owners and entrepreneurs out there that are looking to save a little bit of cash and do things just smarter and more efficiently. Save time and money this holiday season with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code WITHWIT for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code WITHWIT. And now back to our chat. Sometimes my husband says to me, like, everything that you're thinking or feeling isn't always real. And like, we'll have feelings and then we judge ourselves for the feelings instead of just like sitting in the feelings and being like, okay, I have this feeling. I'm going to notice it and then like try to move off of it. Right. So it's like really meditation has helped me do that where I try not to judge myself for having a feeling, but it takes so much practice. And I feel like it's a lifelong journey to be completely at peace with your thoughts. But again, we have like a million bajillion thoughts going through our head every day. And it's hard to decipher like what's true and, and what's not. And sometimes I feel like I fall into a little bit of a pit of negative thoughts and put a lot of blame on myself and pressure on myself to constantly do more and be more. And I don't know how I can keep myself from doing this. It's like all these little, I think as, as you mentioned in reading about you and your work, like all these little tiny micro stressors during the day build up. How can I keep myself from doing this? And like, beating myself up for these little thoughts and opinions I have of myself. Sure. I mean, I think that there are, because they, they, they do just keep coming. Like yeah. Finally, when yeah. you feel like your head's coming up for like some air, you're like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. But 
I think two two things that I think that might be helpful and hopefully helpful for your listeners is yes. the first one is, you know, when we're so we're sort of swimming in our emotions, it's like the water that we're kicking around in. It's really hard to have any perspective and we're mm-hmm. just sort of swallowed by it. And that, that sort of immersion that occurs, it's it can be very hard to sort of act like a detective. Like I always think of like channel Sherlock Holmes, like let's, you know, your feelings aren't necessarily facts. What else could be going on here? Is there another explanation for this? And so one strategy that I found to be very helpful for people is saying to them, imagine you had a friend going through the exact same situation that you're like, it's on your mind right now. What advice would you give them? What occurs in that moment is when you take yourself out of it and you're like, oh, well, gosh, if I had a friend going through this, well, it's obvious. I would, you know, suggest to them to do X, Y, and Z. And how we we get sometimes some clarity when we take ourselves out of ourselves and are able to think and put ourselves in the position of being an advice giver and and seeing, well, there's something called King Solomon's paradox. And King Solomon was a famous king who was apparently wise as can be and, and wonderful at giving excellent advice, but when it came to his own personal life, it was a total mess. And so I think it just, but but it's amazing though, how we're able to, when it comes to others, we're able Mm. to sort of see things far more clearly with less emotion around it and just sort of have some clarity of perspective. And also, which is really important is there's usually action oriented, like sort of steps we can take rather than just that dwelling in Uh that sea and sort of swimming in it. And another strategy I think that can be quite helpful is to to sort of manage, especially some of the negative emotions. And even though I think of myself as a positive psychiatrist, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of negative emotions because I think they have a lot to teach us. And sometimes I think we're, we almost are so uncomfortable with them that we'll want to sort of sweep them under the rug or just try to like somehow put our blinders on and not not feel it. And one strategy that might be helpful is rather than just being like, oh, I'm just in a bad mood or I feel bad or, oh, I'm having a horrible day. Try to pinpoint as like, precisely as you can, what exactly are you feeling? Like whip out a thesaurus is, is necessary. Like, are you feeling disheartened? Are you feeling despondent? And if you try to kind of be as specific and precise with your language, and this is even a really good technique to teach children as well, mm-hmm. is to kind of come up with the word that really could capture what you're trying to say. I have a German husband and they always have like the best words for everything <laughs> that I think English fails us in. And like, <laughs> it was a word like a Geschweinehund or something. And it's, it's like, I feel so lazy. I don't feel like doing anything, even though uh-huh. I have a lot to do. Like it's got uh-huh. like 10 sentences to describe what it means. I was like, that's what I I feel like I don't know the word in English for that, but right, um, right, right. But sometimes it, it's just very helpful to kind of almost draw like police chalk around that thing mm-hmm. because it gives you perspective of like, okay, this is specifically what I'm feeling, and yeah. you're less likely to take whatever that sort of generalized annoyance is that you have, and then that's going to then follow you through your day. It's sort of sticking to you like Velcro. And when you can be more precise around the emotion that you're feeling and why then, you know, you're going to take whatever's coming next less personally. It's going to feel less pervasive. It's going to feel less permanent. So you use that, your language really well, because otherwise you're just in a bad mood. And sometimes you can't even remember why. You're like, I knew I'm in a bad mood, but I'm not sure. Something really hits me off earlier, but right. it's staying with me. 
Um, but so those are really ways to, I think, uncouple sometimes your emotions from the thing that's happened. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think the first one that you said, it reminds me of something that also my husband said to me, which I think these are little things that he learns from his therapist. But he told me whenever I'm like talking poorly to myself or I'm beating myself up to imagine myself talking to like the inner child in me, like Whitney Mm. as like a seven-year-old. What would you say to Whitney, the seven-year-old who's feeling this feeling, you know, and just to really like let ourselves off the hook and be a little bit easier on ourselves. But when, when I'm feeling stressed, sometimes I'm feel I feel just like frazzled and I don't know how to get myself out of it. Like beyond, obviously beyond like pinpointing the feeling and beyond talking to yourself nicely as a friend or as, as your child self, what are some practices we can do in the moment to wind down from stress? Sure. I mean, I always think of like, all of us should have a bad day backup plan, no matter Mm -hmm. what, you know, and Mm -hmm. have at least those default things that are easy for you to do that are like there at the ready. Uh, Because sometimes we'll, when we don't have them there, that we'll sort of turn to more negative coping strategies, you know, like, it's like when you get like the bucket of ice cream or you cancel plans with a friend or like you do those sort of, we grab a drink or too many drinks or at least. So that kind of unhealthy stuff. So, you know, what is it that makes you feel strong? And I was so interested in that exact question because there's one thing to sort of have fewer hassles in your day, but then actually what really makes people feel good is having more uplifts in their day. When uplifts aren't the opposite of hassles, they're very different. And for instance, I mean, according to this Harvard survey that 94% of people said just being outdoors and in nature gives them a boost. Like it can be even just getting outside, moving a little bit. I have a patient who'll always just throw a jog bra on in the morning if she wants to get to the gym. So it's just a little bit easier to go and do that thing that she wants to do. Yeah. These things are all things that I feel like have been obviously scientifically proven. My big thing is like, one, I'm I'm very quick to cancel plans. Like, I don't mm. know. I, I kind of feel like I learned it from my mom a little bit in a subconscious way. But I'm very quick to be like, oh, if I'm not in the mood, I'm just going to cancel my plans because I just don't feel like doing anything. And that is just how I deal. And like, would you tell me to force myself to go? Like, what would you... I don't know. It's so hard because in those moments, I'm like, I really, I can't go. Like, I don't want to go sit there. I don't want to talk about myself. I don't really feel like listening. I need to be at home with my family. That is what serves me. And I, I tell myself all those memes in the back of my head, you know, what, what I see online about like taking care of yourself and it's okay to say no, and it's okay to set boundaries. But I hear from you that like maybe canceling plans is possibly like a negative thing. So like, what do you, what do you think about that? I think it's kind of keeping that kind of true North there. Like, what are your values, you know, and keeping them front and center. One of the first things I always do when I meet patients is say like, tell me like the three things that you value most in your life. And it's sometimes people haven't even thought about like, well, I don't know. So what is it that you value the most? And then, okay, then how do you spend your time? And even how do you spend, what did you do on Saturday, for instance? And people are often struck by the lack of overlap between what they genuinely care about, what they stand for, what matters to them, and then actually what they do. And kind of trying to, I think part of therapy is actually trying to create more overlap. Mm-hmm. Another like way to reimagine this question is if you think about like, what are the words you would hope that you're 
child would use to describe you or your partner, your coworker? You know, so what, what words would the person who you want to conjure would use to describe you? And then if you think to yourself, okay, and what do I do on a regular basis that would encourage my that child or my partner, whatever, to describe me this way? Yeah. And then the next question is, what words would they use to actually describe me? Yeah. And then the final question is, what words, what would you do? Like, what steps could you take to maybe close that gap? Uh-huh. And so, you know, I also think a lot of moms are feel so guilty about the time they're not at home. And I've got to say, if I could wave a magic wand, I would. And, you know, just wipe away that guilt. But I was really heartened by a study out of Harvard Business School looking at kids of working moms who Mm -hmm. do really, really well. And they are super resilient. They're understanding sons of working moms actually have like much more of like a sense of balance of of, of like roles and, and families and stuff. So I was super heartened by that research. I actually wanted just to share it with everybody I, I could find to, you know, just say like, sometimes it's okay even to see your parents struggle a little bit. Other research, um, you know, from Yale, even children as young as two watching a parent struggle opening something up like a toy that's kind of hard to open up, but persist and struggle. And when they're trying to, they're given a toy to sort of struggle with, they struggle much longer when they see their parent persist at it. So I think sometimes even we're really careful about trying to like not share with our children sometimes things that are difficult for us or hard for us or just making everything seem so easy breezy. And even related work to that shows how kids who know like their parents' like life story and their grandparents' life story. They know that like where their grandparents met and where they went Mm -hmm. to school and Mm -hmm. the things were hard and then things were less hard and then they were good and then there was a hiccup. Knowing that sort of arc of history and narrative, I think maybe it helped that maybe it helps sort of them realize like things can go well, things sometimes don't go so well, but also maybe it decenters them in a way. And it maybe sort of, they feel almost less of, there's a privilege of being like the centerpiece of a family. But at the same time, there's also, I think, tremendous resilience in learning that like you're part of a story and a narrative of a family that can be really beneficial. And now a word from one of our amazing brand partners. I love Italic. Italic isn't an everything store. It's honestly your everything store. They have the cutest, most chic home goods. I love their wine glasses. I haven't had wine glasses with stems in so long and they're so thin and beautiful and chic. But anyways, their marketplace connects you with the manufacturers behind the world's biggest brands and most in-demand products and delivers straight to your door for up to 63% less. I also just got this beautiful waffle forest green blanket for our Navy couch. That's so, it just looks so cozy and warm in the couch. Sunny freaking loves it. They have an in-house product experts that vet every product. So they wear it, they sleep on it, they carry it, they work out with it, and they make sure that it's all of the highest possible quality. And they also extensively vet their manufacturers on the ground, visiting factories, inspecting materials, access their curated selection of over 500 products, including everything from diamond jewelry to cashmere sweaters to world-class linen sheets, which are on our bed right now. Linen is more of like our summer thing. Percale is more of like our cool, crisp winter thing. 
but they're all from the best manufacturers in the world. The sheets, the wine glasses, the blankets, everything I've gotten from them. Oh, my bath sheets, chic checkered bath sheets. Amazing. Cost less than half of what I would normally spend purchasing it from a regular brand. So by taking the brand and retail markups completely out of the question, they're able to deliver the lowest prices possible. Get $10 off your first product order of $50 or more on italic.com. That's I-T-A-L-I-C.com with code with wit. Again, that's code with wit for $10 off your first product order on italic.com. Soon you will be hearing my amazing conversation with the founder of House of Wise and she's such an inspiration and I'm looking forward to actually working with her more in the future because I believe in her and her products so much. But just like all of you, you know, the past year, past two years has been tough. I don't really like to turn to wine or alcohol to deal with stress. It doesn't make me feel good. It makes me have poor sleep. I have low energy the next day. It's just not something that I want to turn to. But I started digging into CBD and I have found these House of Wise products that are actually amazing. They are really on a mission to help women take control of their sleep, sex, stress, and strength through originally formulated and effective CBD products. I know the CBD world is super confusing and there are a lot of products out there that don't work or that can make me groggy, but House of Wise is the first line of CBD products that actually work for me. And they are made from sustainably sourced hemp from Colorado. Shout out Colorado. And the products are 100% organic, vegan, gluten-free. I have to say their sex serum is really my favorite product. I know I've, I've said that in the last episode, but that's just because it's true. I'm obsessed with the serum and the gummies also taste delicious. They really get you in like the mental space to just like be ready for the best sex. As our partner, House of Wise wants to give all of you 20% off with your purchase. Simply go to houseofwise.co.com and use the promo code with wit to redeem your discount. That's 20% off your first sleep, sex, stress, or strength product when you go to houseofwise.co and use the promo code with wit. And now back to our chat. My next question is about, you know, moving your body and how that affects your brain. What would you say to moms? Like it's because it seems like you have a lot of experience in that or anybody who who doesn't think that they can find time or don't think that they have time to actually do this for themselves. Because like even I feel that way sometimes, you know, where I'm just like, this is not important enough to fit into my day. I mean, the thing is, I do think no matter what, we do feel better when we move. Yeah. But at the same time, we we know and research shows this too, this too, that just incidental ambulation, moving around a bit, maybe it's like walking around at home or when you're on the phone, but actually moving more rather than sitting gives us a boost, even we're in a better mood when we're moving in, in, in some form. So I think there's so much pressure. Like I, my office is literally next door to a gym where people would come and they would work out, but I'm on the second floor and people <sighs> would wait for the elevator to take it up to the gyms. They could join this exercise class and it would drive me crazy because I think we've actually, you know, 
somehow engineered our lives to like reduce any movement around it. Like people will like do circles around a parking lot to get like the closest parking spot to the store or whatever right. they're going to. Right. But, but then they'll like have to squeeze in that like hour workout at the gym. So I think if we can make a little bit of peace with that and create more incidental just movement in our day and not beat ourselves up about when you can't get to the gym, there are certainly many days when you've got young kids where it's just probably not going to happen. But if you can just have some of that movement in your day that might not be jog bra requiring or right. you've got to have on, you know, whatever, like you expect to be sweating that much. But I think if you're just moving a lot, that's going to also give you a significant boost and put you in a better mood um, no matter what. That's really, really good advice, actually. Like, I didn't really think about that. I think a lot of people would answer that question or I would answer that question and be like, schedule it in. It's it, it's so it's such a priority. You have to schedule it in. But like, that's also unrealistic for a lot of people who are working like nonstop hours and have children and whatever. So I think you're right. It's about being conscious about those moments when you can add a little bit more movement in, but it doesn't require you taking time out of your busy day. I love that. Yeah, like integrate into your day. And also yeah. like, there's a lot of research. It's kind of cool around like people. And I think sometimes you look at your phone or whatever, you get those notifications at the end of the week, like you spend over nine hours a day or whatever yeah. on your phone. But sort yeah. of, so people have the perception that they don't have time to be doing things, but actually, you know, maybe it's all in this time confetti. Like we have little bits and pieces, but yeah. you know, we probably spend 30 hours a week or so doing things that maybe aren't necessarily fulfilling for us when it comes to sometimes social media. So what are ways that we could be using that time? And Katie Milkman from the University of Pennsylvania has been doing this research where she calls it temptation bundling. Like when, if there's something you really, really love doing, like you're obsessed with watching Squid Game, okay? Yeah. <laughs> then only let yourself watch Squid Game when you're when, when you're at the gym or right. you're only going to listen to your podcast or Whitney's podcast when, like for your listeners, like only listen when you're at the gym. So you can kind of right. temptation bundle couple something that you love doing, listening to your podcast with something that maybe you don't really feel like doing. That's so really that is it kind of just a way to, I think, get yourself over the hump sometimes and do that thing that you really want to do. But I do think we beat ourselves up way too much for not moving enough. And even like when you're going, if you're traveling, people maybe are traveling a little bit more again, like don't take the escalator, take the stairs, those little ways of just moving a little bit more uh -huh. in your daytime and taking the stairs whenever you can or walking around the block or taking your dog for an extra lap or having your kid even go with you. Interesting studies show that when moms took a daughter either to the mall or in for a walk in the park, Mm -hmm. The walk in the park gave them both like a bigger boost and sense of connection yeah. and respect and love for each other. And it also lasted for like six days. Whereas yeah. like, I guess maybe inevitably like a trip to the mall is going to like end up in a fight or something. But <laughs> but just the importance of even spending outdoors and time and outdoors with and modeling that for your kids too, I think is really important. And when you're just doing things that are fun, like activities, if it's hopping or skipping or playing game or playing catch where you're just like playing and the joy of like actually free play, not scheduled activities where you're like zipping them from place to place. Like you're letting them just play or even self-regulate and be on their own. And you're there to play with them if they feel like it, but they also just can initiate play. Yes. I love that. I love that. Okay. I want to talk about micro moments because I really feel like this is so important. And I just want you to explain what micro moments are and then how, how we can really use them to enrich our lives. Like, I feel like you touched on this a, a little bit at the beginning, but I feel like they deserve a little bit more of an explanation. <laughs> sure. I mean, just these 
especially these moments of positivity where we're getting, we have this meaningful sort of boost, this uplift, and really they often occur in like the context of like a shared moment where we have a, like a high quality connection with another person. And especially it might be with the people, like the person we live with that we like share a house with, but those like having positive interactions where you have this exchange, this feeling of felt love, that that person cares about you, that they've got your back, that you've got theirs. And what a difference that makes to that sort of, you're both staring at your phone and sort of like, uh-huh, what? Like yeah, sort of exchange yeah. that so easily can occur when you're giving somebody your full attention. And like the gift of presence is probably the greatest gift we can give to anybody. Same with our kids. Like if we're picking them up from somewhere, not having our phone in our hand and only looking up when they're like a foot in front of us because we hear their footsteps, just giving them our full undivided attention and using our phones, being on them when we're alone, but when we're in the presence of others. And it's really interesting how just the presence of a phone can diminish the quality of a conversation. And there's lots of research around that. Even having a phone on the dinner table can do it, even in the car, being being together when you are with somebody. Because that's also where you're going to find it's you can only laugh with your if you're both paying attention to something. You right, only see something right. kind of funny when you're both there to share it. So I think those like sort of micro moments, those uplifts and those moments of positivity that can occur and that we can be deliberate about not just watching for them, but also generating them. Can we be deliberate about delight? And I think looking, our brains are so good and we're sort of hardwired to sort of to fixate on what's wrong or what did mm-hmm. go wrong or what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're worried and we're vigilant and maybe even we're sort of wound collectors. And yeah, yeah. Hanging on to somebody who said something that didn't feel quite right. We in- interpret anything that's ambiguous as yep. negative or maybe some slight. But mm-hmm. actually when we're, when probably there might be things that were, that, that might've happened that we, that we missed a nice moment with even a stranger when we could have had exchanging your, buying your coffee, you're at Starbucks, whatever that thing is, where you're actually looking up, giving somebody your full attention, saying thank you sincerely. Those little micro moments of positivity are so valuable and they actually stay with us, but we have to pay attention to them. So I actually suggest people to them, like clock these moments of delight, go out and look for them, cultivate them and share them with others. Like something that, that kind of brings you joy. And because this will help buffer some of those hassles that we've been talking about that you just can't control. There's a lot in your day that you can't control, but you can be deliberate about delight. That's so true. That's so true. What do you do specifically to take care of yourself? Like you, you obviously take on so many people's trauma and feelings and issues and you really absorb all of this stuff. So I can imagine that you require like a good amount of self-care. How do you, how do you find the time and what exactly do you do? It's a process. I think sometimes what I was doing in my twenties is different to what I'm doing in my thirties, what I was doing right. in my thirties or what I'm doing now in my forties, but yeah, and it's evolving. But one thing that I never thought I, I was one of those people who was, would say like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Sleep is for lazy people. And that's not that important. Mm-hmm. And I almost wore the circles under my eyes as a badge of honor, especially yeah. when I was in medical school. But I've really recognized the critical need for me to sleep, not just for myself, but for the people who have to interact with me. And it's, there's research around this too, that apparently when we are sleep deprived, that we are actually 
socially repulsive to others. Like the people yes. really don't want to be around us. <laughs> yeah. Like we almost I don't like even want to be vibe. around myself. I know. I, yes. I, it's so true. The, the more I'm having these conversations later in life, the more people are uh, explaining to me the importance of sleep. But it's so hard because with little kids, it's almost like you have no control over it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's really hard with little kids to do it. But I remember like I, I was so against my kids ever watching TV, but like on Saturday mornings, I was like, just turn it on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. But it was. But so that's really I mean, been a priority. And also walking outdoors for mm-hmm. me and walking with friends has right. just been hugely like life transforming and and also trying new things and doing things that were like a hobby as a kid that I've gone back to. I started riding horses again that I hadn't mm-hmm. done and yeah. doing things that like being okay and having hobbies where you can just sort of be comfortable not being good at. Like I yeah. I will never be a great rider. I fall, I fell off again the other day and I've broken my finger, I think, but like do it going over a jump. But it's just sort of, it was something my kids were doing. And then I used to do it as a kid and starting again. And, and actually I think sometimes hobbies are such an amazing place where we can embrace mediocrity and just do something because we love doing it. And there's so much pressure and especially on women to be perfect and be so good and, you know, yeah. have this like polished thing and not even sort of have those beginner experiences. We only do things that like we're already pretty good at. And I've really enjoyed fumbling a little bit and giving myself the space to do that. Yeah. That's actually motivating me because I used to dance growing up and like, I'm not, I was never that good and I'm still not that good, but like I, the idea of going to a dance class now and having to be split up into tiny groups and like have Mm -hmm. to do the routine for everyone makes me, it it inhibits me from doing it. But dancing is really what makes me happiest. Honestly, like when I'm at a wedding or I'm at a party and I'm just being goofy and being silly dancing, like that is really my happiest. That's why I sort of have this idea and this is kind of totally off the topic, but I kind of want to open like a free dance studio where it's like mm. a club, but with no alcohol where women can come and it's dark and or women and men, whatever it's dark and there's a disco ball and music and people can just come and like free dance and there's not a routine. It's just about like that. movement. I know. <laughs> Even like I, in the middle of the day, like during yeah, lunch hour, like go yeah. and like rock out there. That's yeah, exactly. The great, I love that idea. Like noon is Beyonce hour and just like come yeah. and come by yourself. Like no one cares. Just like come dance for 30 minutes or whatever, you know, like you're at a club. But anyways, that I, I love that idea about, about, trying to find those hobbies that you love that it's not all about performance and it's not about being the best at it or trying to make money from it or having like a goal with it. It's just like doing it just to do it because it's fun. I think that's really important. And I think we've forgotten like the joy of that. There's stuff that's purely for fun. Even like, so no one's even watching. This isn't to win a medal or to, you know, be like dancer or whatever, like you're not joining the ballet, like ABT, but yeah. so what are those moments? But I love, there's actually a lot of research around how movement and dancing and synchronized dancing is mm-hmm. so good for our mental health and like yes. our cognitive flexibility and stuff. So yeah. I just think dancing is, gives us such joy in our lives. And it's really one of those immediate things that make you happy. Like you can't help but smile when you're Totally, totally, totally. Before we go, just tell everybody where they can find you and to everything that you're up to right now. Sure. My book is called Everyday Vitality and it's on Amazon and I am 
at SamBMD um, on Twitter and at positive underscore prescription on Instagram. And I'm Samantha Boardman. And it's such a pleasure to be on, on your podcast. And I love what you do. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's honestly been such a pleasure. I I really have taken so much away. And the biggest thing is just that I'm going to promise myself to go do a dance class in the next couple of weeks. I promise. I love that. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.